Welcome to Minute 31 of The Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into The Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Tom. And I'm Rob. And joining us today is Jim. Say hi, Jim. Hello, everyone. It's good, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Ah, we're incredibly pleased to have you with us. Minute 31 starts with Ramsey asking, what were the Gestapo and SS doing with you? And ends with Roger saying, not nearly as rough as I intend to give them. So we're continuing on from our scene last week where we get Roger and Ramsey sitting in prepping tea and really giving our introduction into Roger slash Big X. And this minute primarily focuses on a whole list of names they start rattling off where we don't really know who's who yet, but it's the, we're putting the group together, who do we have handy, and realizing, oh, they put everybody who's got half a brain how to escape in this camp. So... Right. I mean, this is this is a this is this is a great great minute because of the fact that it really uh, opens up the the exposition of uh, who these who all the characters are. You know, who all the the players will be in this quote unquote heist that's going to happen. Because as as we've discussed numerous times, you know, in some ways this is a heist movie because uh, you know everyone uh, every one of the characters has their specialty and they have to work together in order to to break out basically. But I actually wanted to focus at the beginning where, you know, it, it, uh, we, we were obviously continuing the conversation between Ramsey and Bartlett from yesterday, from uh, what we discussed on Friday. It's really strange that Ramsey actually asks Bartlett, what were the Gestapo and SS doing with you? You know, like, <laughs> and his answer was to find out how I got to the border, which, which is also a very strange answer because, you know, he, he mentioned – in in the few minutes beforehand that he was there for three months under the Gestapo hospitality, I guess you can say. And uh, basically it's, it's, it's a, it's a strange question to ask because you'd think that Ramsey understands that this is what they're trying to figure out. You know, I mean, Jim, what do, what do you think about that? I mean, you're, you're being a, being a historian dealing with world war two, maybe you can get a better understanding as to, why this type of question would would be asked after someone is under Gestapo care for three months? Well, you have to realize that they they had been separated, and and Big X, as you probably know, he he's like the ringleader. He's the one that pulled them all together, um, and and so there was a separation for a period of time. So it to me, it kind of makes sense. They want to know why 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 did they keep you for so long before they brought you to us. So I can kind of see um, why that would be a, a question that could be asked. Yeah, but Ramsey and Bartlett both know how essential Bartlett was to the whole escape, uh, the whole ex-organization over over the years that they've they've been in prison. So, you know, obviously this is a little bit of chit chat between friends that haven't seen each other for a while. But uh, so Ramsey obviously knows why they they uh, were suspicious of uh, everything that Bartlett had done. So my, my bigger question is, is, is that why does he even have to ask the question? Or is it something just to maybe break the ice at this point? I think um, it was because... just pro- probably a conversation starter. And the other thing is, too, is um, 
one of the things I was surprised they didn't go into is what did he tell him? He didn't say, well, what did you tell him? Because somebody, somebody escorted him to the border. So there was no continuation of the discussion. Well, what did you tell him? Did you tell him who helped you? Or say which border? He doesn't mention that either, because if I, if I, I think in the book, if I remember correctly, he had gotten, I think, to Vienna before he was recaptured. I um, mean, obviously, this is this is based on, you know, what what happened to the to the real Roger Bushel. Was so there. Bushel, right. Roger, Roger Bushel, Bushel, Bushel. I don't remember how it's pronounced. <laughs> it looks Bushel so, to me, but it's probably- it could be. It could be. You know, the, the, I, for some reason, I, I always had in my mind it was Bushel. But I, I guess I'll have to look into that, try and figure out what it was. No, I, I, the, the book actually uh, mentions that uh, he was he was just he was really close to the border, and then I think some, if I remember correctly, someone uh, you know told on him, and they they, they they caught him and and everyone who was was holding him uh, or was helping him at the time. So I think it was Vienna, if I remember well, correctly. And I feel like it's also just partially there for the purpose of exposition. Because, you know, we need to get introduced to this Big X character and where he falls into the whole dynamic of the camp. And we saw, we saw him come in with, apart from the rest of the prisoners. So just we as viewers need to be able to be told, okay, why is he so special? So I think that's probably a big part as well as to why... We get that one line of dialogue, and then it's kind of dropped, and we move on to the next topic. It's more of a transitional, um, more of a transitional statement than anything, right? But and but I, again, it's interesting that they they didn't push forward and try. Sorry, I, I just looked in the book, and it's actually it was Czechoslovakia that he was in where he got caught. I haven't was, read the book. I've seen the movie a hundred times, but I haven't read the book. <laughs> Well, the book is very different because because the characters are all completely their names are all different. I mean, yeah, we've discussed this in the past that the the, the the original script of this movie Roger's name wasn't even Roger; it was Cyril, and they switched it to, to Roger, I guess, because they wanted to, to to get more true to, to to fact with the way that it was. Right? It was so he was in he was in Czechoslovakia where he, when he got caught, and he was very close to the border. If anyone wants to look at the it's on page 17 of the book, <laughs> if they're ever interested. Right. No, but it's, what, what's interesting is, is that, as, as, as I think Tom said it before, that, that it, it's a transitional statement, but they don't even go into more detail. You, you'd think that Ramsey would then say, oh, well, where were you? How did you, you know, if, if they were that close, you know, if, if, if that was me and someone said to, to me, oh, well, I just they wanted to find out how I got to the border. I'd be like, "Oh, which border? And how close were you? And and what happened? And you know, to gain the, to gather the the information as to what actually transpired for for numerous reasons. One is to give yourself knowledge of okay, what didn't work and what could work. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, I think I think I think like I said, just it was just transitional. Um, yeah, they, probably they could have elaborated more, but they didn't. The other thing we get here then is that, you know, list of names. You know, obviously, well, even later this week, we start to get a better idea of who's who in terms of the rest of the party. But the one that stuck, the phrasing of what stuck out to me is when they're talking about Henley. 
they say, you know, Henley's the best. And my immediate question is, is he actually the best or is he just happened to be the best one at the camp? Because they talk about, I forget, I'd have to look back at the name now. You know, it's right. so and so here. Tommy, and it's, Tommy, Tommy Bristol. Tommy Bristol. Yeah, is Tommy is Bristol here? They say no, but we've got an American Henley. They say he's the best, and I'm like, if he's the best, why do you not know his name already? No, that that I can actually answer because because you know they had their whole ex organization that that that's been working in camps for for you know numerous years, whatever it is. We don't know how long uh, Henley is has been under lock and key. It's possible that that he came came across it recently. It's possible that he came across it a while ago. You know, he's been there. He's just not in the same camp. That type of thing. Um, plus, I, I mean, the reason that I think this dialogue is there is to once again point out that wait a second, you know, this is an American movie, so we're gonna we're gonna mention that, that just because you you, you know because they mention all the other names. You know, uh, I'm gonna I'm just back up just a little bit. You know, when the discussion the name, when Roger's asking who's here, and so first the first name. Do you remember the first name that he asked for? He says is Cavendish here. Yeah. You know. Once again, and uh, Jim Jim doesn't know this, but but we, we have a thing about Cavendish that that uh, uh, he he's an essential cog in in the whole uh, situation because everything gets screwed up every time because of Cavendish. So he's actually the first one you'd ask for. So you'd think that that Roger's first question is is Cavendish here? Okay, then don't let him do. <laughs> don't give him work. He's the wrong don't guy. Him, that's right. He doesn't know how to count. Well, he doesn't know how to how to do his uh, surve- surveying, and then after that he goes Cavendish, and then he says uh, Nim- Nimno Nimzo. I don't even know who that is because that's not someone who we're we're familiar with. Then he says Soren, who is someone that we're familiar with. Then Griffiths, the the tailor, Haynes, who's Diversions, and then he then he asks about Blythe, and then he goes, Wow, almost the entire X organization is here, and then Ramsey once again. Uh, reiterates what Van Luger said. I think we we discussed it last week, where basically, oh no, it was a few weeks ago, where he says all the rotten eggs in one basket. And I love Roger's response to that. He goes, "There is madness in their method." Yeah. You know, well, and then he asks about Tommy Bristol, <laughs> and then he says, "Okay, here we we've given all these British names, and now we're going to say, okay, Americans who are watching this movie because it's an American movie. Okay, we've we just met Steve. We're we're." You know, we have Steve McQueen here, but here we're going to talk about uh, another American, you know, Handley. So that that's what I think uh, of the reason how that that came about. Yeah, as, as someone, as you guys know, I'm an author. I write I write World War II historical fiction. One of one of the challenges whenever you write a story is inserting backstory so that it is quick, interesting, but brief because if you spend too much time on backstory, you can bore the the reader in a book or the viewer in a movie, but it's information that's important and they have to have it. So they did a, actually a, an excellent job in doing this. Uh, somebody watching this movie for the first time in that short scene, in that one minute of this movie, they accomplished a tremendous amount. Yeah, no question about that. That's also one of the reasons why we we like diving into movies one minute at a time because you get to see how much normally people pay attention they're they're subconsciously paying attention to things and and uh, you know uh, soaking it in but 
they, they, they don't even notice a lot of things that are going on. Mm-hmm. The other thing we get here is an, an interesting choice of dialogue in terms of the way it's written. And I don't know if it's written this way in the script or was just how it came off. But he says, it's the last bit of tea until the Red Cross comes through again. And that made me wonder. You've been there for all of 30 minutes at this point. Shouldn't you really be talking about until the Red Cross comes here? Unless, because if there was already Red Cross provisions in the camp when you showed up, I doubt it would be the last bit of tea. <laughs> you know, that's that's an interesting point. That's kind of a, a technical flaw, but that makes a lot of sense. Well, well, come on, they just expect the Red Cross to, 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 to show up everywhere, you know. But uh, no, that, that is a good point. But as we know later, I think next week or maybe in two weeks, we'll be discussing, you know, when Blythe is, is uh, having his tea. And it's the same same idea, you know, that they're just using the same tea leaves over and over and over. I mean, this is something that we all take for granted these days. You know, it's so easy to come across a tea bag and you can just reuse it numerous times. But these are men that needed to reuse it apparently sometimes for months at a time using the same tea bag. At that point, I think I would just drink water. <laughs> Well, a lot of times, too, is the same with cigarettes. They they would smoke the same butts and pass the same cigarette butts, just hoping there was a little bit of nicotine <laughs> left in it. Um, but, you know, they, they had to do what they had to do. Oh, yeah. It, I couldn't even begin to imagine. I know what kind of stuff, you know, works like gold when you're just deployed. I have no idea how that translates to, you know, being in a prison camp where there's, you know, sporadic at best resupply right and that's and that's depending they if they got it all i'm sure the guards um plundered through it and took what they wanted and then gave you a little bit what was left yeah yeah that's definitely true well jd do you want to tell us you mentioned you're a world war ii author do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with this movie sure i uh, i started watching uh the great escape when i was a small child this this movie came out in 1963 i was born in 1964 and i remember the first time i saw it i fell in love with it and then i uh i remember when i was growing up it would come on but my, my bedtime, I was just a kid, small kid, and my bedtime was 9 o'clock. Well, the movie, the movie would come on at 9 o'clock. You know, that was back when we had three chances. So I'd beg my, my mother to let me stay up and watch it. And what she, what she did is we had this little black and white TV set, and she put it at the end of my bed so I could watch this movie laying in bed. She knew I would fall asleep eventually, but I stayed up until Steve McQueen leap the barbed wire fence with the motorcycle. Once I saw that, then I could close my eyes and go to sleep. But uh, yeah. So instead uh, of instead of count, instead of counting sheep jumping over fences, you count the Steve McQueens on motorcycles. That's right. But I I would I would fight it. I'm I've got my fingers and my eyelids forcing my eyeballs open. Got to wait for that, that. But then but then he always got shot and the bike fell over and then it was always I was always bummed out. But. Um, but yeah, that was my. That's always been my favorite favorite scene. Classic. 
Yeah, no question about that. A lot of people have that. And and again, as 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 we all know, that that's, that has nothing to do with the real history. That was just uh, Steve McQueen wanting to make sure that, 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 that he has the most memorable scene in the film. <laughs> right. And then since then, I've probably, ever since, and that was back, that was back before um, VHS, DVD, all the different cable networks. Now I can watch it anytime I want. So I probably, as an adult, I probably watch it three or four times a year. Wow. Yeah, I, I usually see it about once a year, maybe maybe twice, depending on the, you know, the mood. Uh, but yeah, there's no question about that. Now, I I, if, I just wanted to mention one other thing about the the, the final uh, seconds of this minute, which tomorrow we'll probably go into a little more detail dealing with this. You know, you go back to the conversation between Ramsey and Bartlett at the end, and 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 uh, Ramsey says, "So did the Scop- did did the Gestapo give you a rough time?" Which, you know, you you pretty much assume that that the answer to that one is going to be yes. Roger actually gives a very strange answer, which, again, I think we'll discuss it more in detail tomorrow. But he basically said, well, not as rough as I'm going to be, as as I now intend to give them. Which basically he's setting up the, the scene that, okay, I'm really pissed off at what they did to me. Now I'm going to make them sorry for it. Which which then shows that he somewhat crosses the line of, and he takes things a little too personal. Obviously, I, I can understand why he would think that. There's no question about that. But as someone who's who's you know running the whole X organization, he the the thing that that we all that we know about Roger throughout the entire movie and throughout the entire way that he sets up everything is he's always cool headed, always. And this is I think one of the few times, if the only time possibly in this whole movie, where you see him snap at uh, you know show emotion when dealing with with his connections to, to the enemy. Right. And, and the other thing that the, good thing, the, the brilliant thing about that statement is that interest instantly introduces the viewer to the, to his character and, and his leadership and his forcefulness, because up until that particular scene we're talking about, the, when they, when they got there before the other prisoners were just kind of floundering, trying to figure out how they're going to get out on their own. And they're, they're, they're thinking about cutting wires and that kind of stuff. Well, once, once Roger gets there and he, he makes this very strong statement, it changed, kind of changed the course of the movie. It tells the, the, the viewer that they're no longer just operating on their own. This guy's in charge and he's got a plan. He's got a plan before he ever even showed up. Yeah. Absolutely. No question about that. And and you can see his his mind working, you know, as this this whole minute moves forward. You know, he's he's asking about everybody. He's he's basically saying, okay, well, we have the scrounger, and we have the surveyor, and we have uh, the the counter the forger, and we have you know the uh, the tailor. You know, he's he's quickly going through. He, he's basically going through a list in his mind as to what we need to to be able to 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 get out of here. So it's it's. It's very interesting. It, it says a lot about his character. You're right. No question about that. Rob, is there anything else you wanted to touch on in this minute? No, I think I, I got everything uh, I wanted to, to discuss about this minute. Jim, did you add anything for this one? No, nope, I think we're good. All right. Well, do you want to tell people where they can find your work or find you? Uh, yes. Um, uh, as I said, I'm a World War II historical fiction author currently have two books on Amazon. I'm writing my third now. You can find me on Amazon 
under my pen name, J.D. Keene. It's spelled K-E-E-N-E. Um, and I've got my first book was The Heroes of St. Mary Glees. It's about D-Day and uh, the town of St. Mary Glees. It was the first town liberated. And the next one is called Nino's Heart. It's placed in Italy. It's kind of a love story. Um, but uh, that's really, really me. Okay, well, we hope you can join us again for tomorrow's episode. While you're out looking for his books, why don't you go ahead and rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you guys use. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at thegreatminute at gmail.com. You can check us out on our Facebook group, The Cooler. You can check out our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at greatescape. MXM. Till tomorrow. Tally ho. Tally ho. Tally ho.